Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I am the voice of the voiceless. Do I have everybody's attention now? Sorry about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's going to be the end of the world as you know it. Welcome back, folks, to WrestleRant Radio for July 1st, 2014. I'm your host of the most, Graham Giesen Matthews, with a lot to talk about here today. And as you can tell, I lost my voice when I attended Raw this past Monday night in Hartford. We'll get all into that in a crazy, crazy night. An awesome show by far. But uh, first, we'll be talking about the WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view from this past Sunday night. June 29, 2014, live from the TD Garden in Boston. Um, I actually once considered getting ticked to the show a couple months ago before I realized that Raw was coming to Connecticut um, just a few, just a, just a day later. So I ended up getting tickets to that instead. But um, overall, though, I thought Money in the Bank was a good show. Not as good as some past shows out of an, or installments of the event has been in past years, dating back to 2010. But Money in the Bank has always been one of my favorite shows. Money in the Bank is almost always one of the best shows of the year. And this year's installment was no exception. I thought it was a very good show from start to finish. We'll be getting into it right now. So on the pre-show, we had Daniel Bryan um, with an interview in, with Michael Cole. Daniel Bryan's first appearance since being stripped of the WWE World Heavyweight Championship a number of weeks ago at the hands of the Authority. His first WWE appearance also since the Payback pay-per-view in, uh, on June 1st. 2014, so only four weeks removed from his last WWE on-air appearance, and uh, it felt like a long time since we've last seen Daniel Bryan, but it only had been a month, but uh, even still, I thought it was a good promo from him, talking about basically how he'd be back better than ever, he'd be back to win the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, talking about the Money in the Bank ladder match, or just the, the ladder match to crown a new champion later on in the night, talking about, unfortunately, how he may need to undergo a second surgery for his neck, and hopefully that's not the case. But um, So here's wishing Daniel Bryan a speedy recovery from his neck injury, and I would hate to see him out, uh, out of action for up to a year, and I mean, a lot of people jump to conclusions when it comes to this kind of stuff, like when it comes to AJ, um, when she was out for a substantial period of time, and she didn't return when people thought she would, so everyone thought that she was pregnant, um, impregnated by CM Punk, her newly wed, her new, new her newly wed husband. So, um, so people just jump to conclusions, specifically the dirt sheets. So, just take everything you read with a grain of salt. And uh, this was no, this was no different. So I don't believe for a second that Daniel Bryan will be out for a year. Um, I would be shocked if that's the case. I'm not completely writing it, writing it out of the question, but I'm just saying I don't think it's the most likely scenario. I think it's just a over and under on when he will be back. Probably the worst possible, worst case scenario for Daniel Bryan if he does need to undergo a second neck surgery, and hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully he will be back within the next few months, but one can only hope. So that was a good promo. Got interrupted by Bo Dallas. Um, Bo Dallas didn't make any other appearance on this show, so it was cool. See, it was cool to see him on this event, uh, on the card in some capacity, not in a wrestling capacity, but it was cool to see him mix it up with Daniel Bryan for the first time ever. I believe the first time these two have ever encountered one another. So I thought this was a good promo. 
Um, you know, just telling Daniel Bryan to bow leave, and Daniel Bryan called him a boner, and I thought that was funny. And the crowd kind of got into a boner chant. And some people were thinking that it might become a regular thing, and maybe it, it very well might be. That remains to be seen. Um, when I was on Raw at Monday, and I'll talk about this when I get into my Raw review, but um, there were some boner chants after Bo Dallas aired the video package of Daniel Bryan's interview from Sunday night at Money in the Bank from some of the people in attendance at the show. But aside from that, though, most of the people weren't chanting that towards Bo Dallas. So it will, it remains to be seen whether that will catch on or not in coming months, weeks, whatever. But um, we'll have to wait and see. But either way, though, I thought there's a very good rub for Bo Dallas, who has been not directionless in the last number of months since his WWE debut, but um, he just is in need of a substantial feud, some someone to work with that um, that he can engage in a feud with. And who that is, I, I have no idea. But um, even still, so far so good for Bo Dallas. I think he's been entertaining. I enjoy him. He's been getting good heat. Some people still don't know how to react to him. But um, it's been so far so good for Bo Dallas. And here's hoping they continue to stay the par for the course with Bo Dallas. So overall, I thought the pre-show was okay. It was nice to see Daniel Bryan. I mean, nitpicking things here would have been cooler to see, or would have been nicer to see him in a more serious mood. Um, you know, considering he had just been stripped of the championship just a few weeks later at the hands of his biggest enemy, the Authority. That said, though, um, it was nice to see him in good spirits, especially considering the circumstances that, in reality, he might have to undergo a second surgery. So it was a good. It was good to see him in a good mood. The fans were obviously happy to see him. So I look forward to Daniel Bryan's comeback, whenever that may be. So now going on to the actual card here, kicking off the show, we had the WWE Tag Team Championships up for grabs with the Usos defending against the Wyatt Family, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan in a great matchup, easily one of the best tag title matches we've got a long time in the WWE. Um, really enjoyed this contest. Money in the Bank, dating back to its inception in 2010, has always kicked off with a Money in the Bank ladder match. Um, usually the SmackDown briefcase, and I know we don't call it the Raw and SmackDown briefcases anymore, but the um, the World Heavyweight Championship briefcase, I should say. But uh, that being said, though, since there's only one Money in the Bank ladder match, and I know, I know they had two ladder matches on this show, but they were the only marquee matches on this show, since usually we have two World Championship matches. But um, since that wasn't the case this year, and the World Championship was defended in the ladder match in the main event, we did we couldn't have this, uh, the contract match kick off the show, because in the, uh, the rest of the... The middle of the show would have been complete filler, and uh, it would have been boring as hell, and I'll get to that in a minute, too. So it was smart for this match to kick off the show. I thought it was great, very entertaining action from start to finish. The Usos and the Wyatt family have always worked well together. There's no surprise there. So I really hope that, um, but I do hope that this is the end of the line for this feud. You've seen these guys face off against one another countless times since the start of the year, and that's not a, and that's not a complaint, seeing how they've had a lot of great matches including this one, but um, I would like to see the, Uso move on, the, the Usos move on from here to fresher faces and defend against people that they haven't faced yet. Who that is, I don't know. Right now, we don't have many. We don't have any tag teams on the main roster, that, not that many, seeing how the Usos have already knocked off Red Axel, 3MB's gone, um, Los Matadores, one half of them is currently injured, so who there's left to defend against on the main roster, I don't know. But um, that being said, though, I would love to see the Usos take on the Ascension at some point. I think the Ascension is due for a main roster call-up. They've been down in NXT for two years. 
technically the current incarnation of uh, of the Ascension has only been on the uh, has only been on NXT for about a year since um, Kenneth Cameron, who was now currently being called Bram in TNA, was fired from the WWE in late 2012, and then uh, Victor, uh, whatever his last name used to be, just now going as Victor, was brought in as the newest Ascension member. Um, I think middle of last year in 2013. So uh, it would be great to see Ascension, to see the Ascension on the main roster. They have done everything there is to do on NXT. And the Usos versus those guys, and I know they've been trading tweets on Twitter in the last number of weeks. So I would love to see the Ascension on the main roster, feuding with the Usos over the WWE Tag Team titles. And just because the Ascension are NXT Tag Team Champions, I don't think that for a second that prevents them from going to the main roster. Because as you can recall, Seth Rollins was the NXT champion when he was called up. Big E, same thing. Um, who else? Paige, when she was the NXT women's champion, she was called up. So same thing. So I could definitely see the Ascension on the main roster. And they don't necessarily have to drop the NXT titles. Hopefully they do at some point. I mean, there's a lot of cool tag teams in NXT right now. We have Los, uh, or not Los Matadores. The uh, Vada Villains with Aiden English and uh, Mark Louise or whatever his name is. I forgot what his tag... Or Simon Gotch, I'm sorry. And um, those other guys, uh, the, not the Real Americans, whatever the hell their name is. The guy that used to manage uh, Sol- Sylvester Lafort and his uh, his tag team partner, Marcus Louise. We've got those guys now. And uh, Ty Dillinger and Jason Jordan. There's a lot of good up-and-coming tag teams in the NXT right now. And um, hopefully one of them can take the titles off the Ascension so the Ascension can go to the main roster. So that would be a good feud to do at some point. So I look forward to, uh, I look forward to seeing that. Up next we have the Divas Championship matchup. Paige defending against Naomi in a very good contest. Um, just slightly better than their main event match they had a couple of weeks ago. It got more time. I mean, there were so many filler matches on this show that I wish they would have cut off one of them and given this match a lot more time than it than it did. But um, for what it was, though, I enjoyed the contest. Paige was successful in retaining her Divas Championship. Cameron, I was also very happy that we, that she was not overshadowing the action in the ring, much like she and Paige were on commentary not too long ago. I think last week on Raw, when uh, when Naomi faced Alicia Fox on Raw, they were they were bickering on commentary, and that's that's okay. It, it's to further the feud between the two and to further Cameron's heel turn. Heel turn. So I'm fine with that. But just the fact that they had the cam, they had the Cameron. They had the camera on them more than they did the in-ring action. That's a problem. So I'm glad that they uh, kept the focus off Cameron in this contest. They showed bits and pieces of her throughout the match. I mean, they showed her um, being disappointed with uh, being disappointed with Naomi or cheering when she was gotten the better of by Paige and stuff like that. Like when Paige won, you could see her. Um, getting happy and then go in the ring and consult Naomi. So it was a good way of furthering the heel turn. It was, it was probably for the better that they didn't execute the heel turn on this show. Um, they're still slowly building towards it. So that being said, though, I thought this was a good matchup. I enjoyed it. Paige, um, I would have complained about her not getting more character development, but as we would see the next round on Raw, that might no longer be an issue. So we'll get to that in a minute. But um, for what this was, I thought this was a good matchup. Paige, still your Divas champion after Money in the Bank, and I'll get to why I'll I'll get to why in a little bit as to why she's no longer the Divas champion. But moving on here with the Money in the Bank review, we had Adam Rose versus Damian Sandow. Um, complete filler matchup. This matchup was not previously advertised, and um, it was just to kill some time in between the matches. Adam Rose and Damian Sandow they had a fine matchup. Sandow came out. 
as uh, Paul Revere. So uh, that that was pretty dumb. I mean, it was pretty fitting of the uh, of the Boston location, but just the whole impersonation thing with with Sandow and. It's just been getting really, really dumb, so I really hope there's an end game for it at some point. There more than likely won't be, but I'm just hoping that there will be, because it's a complete waste of time and his talent. But um, that match was what it was. Adam Rose was over with the main crowd, with the live crowd, but they just need to find something for him to do, because right now he's just directionless, which is a shame, because I enjoy him. But um, up next, we had Seth Rollins versus Dean Ambrose, Dolph Ziggler, Rob Van Dam, Kofi Kingston, and Jack Swagger in a Money in the Bank ladder match. Of the two ladder matches on the show, I thought this one was the better one. I enjoyed this one more. I thought the action was intense all the way through. The main story, of course, was between Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, as it should have been. It's been one of the best feuds in WWE, if not the best feud in WWE right now for the last month or so. But, um, yeah, I thought this was a great matchup. Even the people that you knew that weren't going to win, Dolph Ziggler, Rob Van Dam, Kofi Kingston, Jack Swagger, they all played their parts well. I thought it was a very good contest. RVD had a, very, had a number of cool spots. Kofi Kingston at one point, um, when Seth Rollins was about to climb up the ladder and claim the briefcase, Seth Rollins or, executed a massive back bump on the, on the ladder after Kofi Kingston reversed one of his moves or something. And then Kofi Kingston was at the top of the ladder. The place went crazy for Kingston because they thought he might win, and I thought so too. I'm thinking, holy shit, they're finally going to give him the fucking briefcase. But um, obviously that was not the case, no pun intended. But it was a really cool moment, especially considering Kofi Kingston is uh, is from the Boston area. That's where he lives. He went to college there. I don't know if he lives there, actually, but he did graduate from there. So that was cool that he got his moment in that matchup. Jack Swagger was fine. Dolph Ziggler was one of the shining guys in this contest. So it was great to see him highlighted. But like I said before, it all goes back to Rollins and Ambrose. They had a great encounter with one another. Um, Ambrose was, quote-unquote, injured. He uh, hurt his shoulder, I guess, at one point in the contest. Left the matchup in a la Miz 2011. Ran back into the matchup and looked like he was going to win. And um, Kane, of course, on behalf of the authority, cost him the contest and allowed Seth Rollins to claim the briefcase. And I was legitimately pissed. And not in the sense of, like, oh, that was terrible booking, but as a fan, I was pissed to see Ambrose lose. So they did a great job of putting heat on the authority, on Rollins, and on Kane. Far too often in wrestling, and I'm a victim of this. I mean, I, I'm not complaining, but uh, I'm not excluding myself from this. But we cheer for the heels, and we haven't been given a solid reason to boo them. And this was a reason to boo Seth Rollins and Kane in the authority because it cost one of my favorites, one of the favorites of the WWE Universe, his shot at the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Much like I said when the Shield broke up a month ago, that Seth Rollins' actions legitimately caused me to hate Seth Rollins. So they did a great job of doing that here. I don't think it was a bad finish. Oh, Seth Rollins should have won on his own. I don't know about that. Would have been nice, but I don't think Kane's interference at all ruined this matchup or anything like that at all. Um, It was a nice way of protecting Ambrose, putting the briefcase on Rollins, and putting heat on Kane in the process. I thought it was a win-win-win situation. And yeah, like I said before, a great match all around. Up next, we had Goldust and Stardust against Rybaxel. Pretty forgettable matchup. I mean, it was what it was. We've seen this match a million times, and we would see it a million and one more times the next night on Raw. But um, this is another feud I just wanted to end. I couldn't care less for it. Stardust, I mean, I'll get into my Raw review in a little bit, but he's still not doing much for me. Um, the reactions he's been getting have been good. 
But um, even still, though, I don't. I just don't see what purpose it's supposed to serve if Goldust is leaving, presumably, after SummerSlam in about a month or so. I just can't see Stardust on his own without Goldust at his side in this tag team. So if Stardust is going to be a singles competitor and Goldust is going to be gone, I think, I just think that's goofy. The only reason this works is because they're together. So, I don't know, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, Ryback, in an interesting note, both on this show and on Raw, that was there, so I can attest to this, was that Ryback started doing the Feed Me More chance. I don't think it was him, actually. It was the live crowd when he started doing the shoulder thing in the corner before he sets up for the meat hook clothesline. Um, the fans started chanting, Feed Me More. So that was really interesting. Then he looked at the camera and said, I still got it, or something like that. And uh, Ryback did say at one point, Earlier this year on the WWE Network on some WrestleMania special, on the, he was on some panel or something. He said that uh, he would go back to saying "Feed Me More" at some point. So maybe this is it. I'm not really sure. I would love to see that. I think he's much better off as a babyface than as a heel. Maybe he wouldn't get back over as a babyface much over to the point that he was before in 2012. But it would much be better, much better than what he's doing right now with with Curtis Axel. Uh, you know. AK not doing anything, so we'll have to wait and see. But the matchup between these two teams was forgettable. It was okay. It wasn't a bad match, but it was a, kind of a waste of time, in my opinion. Um, up next, we had Rusev against Big E in another rematch from Payback. And this was another good matchup. I enjoyed it for what it was. It wasn't exactly the same as their Payback matchup, which is a good thing. But one thing I don't think they should have repeated was a spot with Big E spearing Rusev through the ropes and onto the ground. It looked cool the last time the live crowd reacted to it. This time it just looked reckless, and Rusev was looked out of it. Um, I, he might have been bleeding from the mouth. I'm not exactly sure, but even so, though, the matchup was good for what it was. I enjoyed it. It got more time than it did at Payback, but it was just a very reckless spot, and Rusev might have been injured from it because when he got back in the ring a few moments later, he was just completely out of it. And it took him about a minute or so, not a, yeah, about a minute or so, before to get back into things, before he put Rusev away, or he put Big E away for the victory. So we'll have to wait and see and see where this goes with uh, with Rusev and Big E. Uh, hopefully the feud is over. I mean, they've been feuding the last month and a half or so, and it's done nothing for either guy. It was another nice win for Rusev, and to see him kind of, you know, wrench on his finishing maneuver on Big E, that was a cool visual. But um, even so, though, I think it might be better off to end this feud and move on with bigger and better things for both guys. But um, that being said, though, it was a fine matchup. Don't can't really complain. But um, the matchup itself wasn't really anything fantastic, um, to be in, in my opinion. But moving on, though, we had another Divas match on this show. Uh, very rare that we have two Divas matches on one pay-per-view, let alone a Raw or a SmackDown or anything along those lines. This match was Layla versus Summer Rae with Fandango serving as a special guest referee. And um, the matchup itself was terrible, by far the lowest point of this show. I'm a fan of Layla, Summer Rae has potential too, but this whole triangle, as I've said time and time again, has been horrendous, and I couldn't care less for it. And um, thankfully the match was only three minutes long, and it wasn't any longer than that. And both Divas are very good workers, and I'm positive they can have a much better match than this. But it was just... It was hindered by those by the shenanigans with with Fandango and stuff like that. I just did not enjoy it in the slightest, and um, I don't know. I just did not like this matchup. I think the whole love triangle is a complete waste of time. So hopefully they can find something better for both divas to do and um, just move along with it. I mean, based off Monday's Raw, they're continuing on with it anyway. But 
I don't know. I thought it was a complete waste of a match, complete waste of a feud. So hopefully they just move on to bigger and better things because this thing right now is just pissing me off because I don't see what purpose it's supposed to serve. But um, then we get to the main event. Eight-man ladder match for the vacated WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Combatants included um, John Cena, Kane, Randy Orton, Roman Reigns, Alberto Del Rio, Seamus Bray Wyatt, and Cesaro. Like I said before, I thought the other Money in the Bank ladder match was the better of the two. But I still enjoyed this matchup for what it was. Um, a lot of good spots. Everyone held their weight. Everyone pulled. Everyone played their parts. Um, it was a very good contest in that respect. But um, even so, I thought the other matchup was more memorable. And um, I don't know. It was, it was just so predictable that John Cena was going to win. That kind of took away from it a little bit. And adding to the fact that he took out both Orton and Kane by himself. Um, but I can't complain, though. John Cena winning the matchup. We all saw it coming, like I said before. And it's the most logical thing that you could do with him presumably facing Brock Lesnar for the WWE World Heavyweight title at SummerSlam. Kane and Lesnar does not excite me at all. Randy Orton, no. I don't want to see him with the championship anytime soon, if ever again. Um, Roman Reigns would have been far too soon. He shouldn't be jobbing to Brock Lesnar anyway, um, or at least at this point in time. Del Rio is a joke. Sheamus, just not the right time. Focus on making the U.S. title relevant again. Bray Wyatt, too soon. And Cesaro, too soon. So, um, uh, John Cena winning this matchup was the most logical explanation, so I'm not mad at it in that respect. But we'll have to wait and see as far as where it goes. Because if you really think about it, John Cena is the only one that makes sense to put the title on for a short period of time. Everyone else in this matchup would have been damaged if they were to win this contest and then go on to lose to Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, and those that would have been damaged, like Sheamus, Orton, or whoever else, um, it's just not, I just don't see any compelling TV in them as being champions, uh, or with them being champions. So Cena was the only one that made sense, so I wasn't pissed when he won. It was a good matchup, fine way of going off the show. Overall, like I said before, I thought it was a good show. The three ladder matches were all excellent, or the, the two ladder matches were excellent in addition to the WWE Tag Team title matchup. And everything else in this show was good also. I mean, not everything, but Adam Rose, Sandow was filler. Um, and the Divas title match was good, but everything else was mediocre to forgettable to just plain terrible. So hopefully the... Uh, but the, fill, the, the filler on this show did not drag it down at all. I thought it was still a very good show. Could have been better if not all for the filler and the waste of time. I mean, the whole second hour felt like a complete... It dragged by... With the Gold Dust Stardust matchup, Rusev and Big E, Layla and Summer Rae. So that whole second hour felt like a complete waste. But um, here's hoping, though, that they can uh, they continue the good momentum, the strong momentum going into um, you know going into their summer season within the next few months. That was a nice, t- nice tie-in to their Monday Night Raw show on Monday Night Live from Hartford, which I was in attendance for. So I initially got the tickets for my birthday about a month or so ago. And um, I was really looking forward to it. I mean, it was a post-pay-per-view Raw. The post-pay-per-view Raws are always awesome. So I had faith that this would be a good show, too. And um, I left the house around 6.15. It only took about a half an hour to get to Hartford. And um, I was nervous that we wouldn't be there in time, that um, I would miss the, the dark match or the opening of the show, which has happened before. I missed the, uh, I think I missed the Superstars taping the last Raw that I went to last June, on June 3rd, 2013. So I didn't want to make the same mistake this time around. So we left earlier this time, and we got there around 6.45. And when we got there, they still hadn't opened up the doors yet. So we waited outside for about 20 minutes or so, 
wasn't too bad. It wasn't like it was hot or anything, so it could have been a lot worse. But we get in that we get in the building around seven oh five, seven ten, immediately hit the merchandise stand. Um the first merchandise stand that I saw was completely Cena dominated. There was not many good there was not much good merchandise at all. So we went to another merchandise table at the other end of the building that was a lot bigger and it had a lot more stuff in it. So we got in line and we ended up picking up a Wyatt family sheet mask as well as a RVD shirt for myself. So I got a nice souvenir from the show. And it was only, it was 30 bucks. I mean, it was what it was. But, and there was some family in front of us that bought like $300 worth of John Cena merchandise. I mean, to buy one shirt is one thing, but to buy all that shit is uh, really weird. But anyway, so we went from there and I heard the, uh, the music going off and then Justin Roberts talking and whatever. So, I figured the show was about to start, not Raw, but whatever they were doing beforehand. So the the superstars taping started. I missed the entrances of Big E and O'Neal, but um, that was a fine matchup. And I mean, I nobody nobody watches superstars anymore anyway, besides myself. So um, it doesn't really matter if I spoil the matches. But um, so Big E went over in that contest. Up next, we had Del Rio versus our Truth. And I just thought it was comical that Del Rio went from headlining a pay per view on Sunday night. To jobbing, not he didn't lose this matchup, but he went from main eventing a pay per view on Sunday night to competing on WWE Superstars less than 24 hours later. It was ridiculous, but um, that was an okay matchup. I mean, there were some botches here and there, and Del Rio like shook the fans of uh, shook the hands of the fans at ringside that were cheering for him. But um, aside from that, though, it was a pretty medi- it was a pretty mediocre matchup. The arm breaker on our truth was botched, and that was funny. But um, I just thought I just thought that was hilarious for Del Rio to go from main event to a pay per view to go to superstars within the course of 24 hours. But um, then we go into the raw taping. Uh, we waited a few minutes before they went live. Kicking off the show, we had the Authority and John Cena. The Authority calling out John Cena and announcing him as the cover boy of WWE 2K15. Um, I can't say I'm surprised by that. I'm not. I'm not too high on the idea to put Cena on the cover, but I mean, it makes sense, obviously. It it makes sense from a business standpoint. They want to put someone on the cover that's marketable, and I mean, he's a fucking face of the company, so he makes the most sense. And um, at least it's someone that's on TV every week, unlike Rock last year. I mean, The Rock Rock on the cover of 2K14, I understand why they did it. I mean, oh, let's put Rock on the cover because, you know, he's The Rock and people buy the game, even though I'm not a wrestling fan, you know? I I don't know. That was some people's logic, but... um. He was never on TV. The only time that The Rock has appeared on WWE TV since he, they uh, unveiled that cover for last year's game was at WrestleMania 30 in April. So I thought that was dumb, but at least Cena makes sense. I would like to see someone like a Daniel Bryan or that, that's just it. There's only Daniel Bryan, the only person that would make sense because anyone else, there really aren't many top, top stars right now in WWE. And Daniel Bryan was, I think, the fan art for last year's cover, and I don't know if they wanted to do him two years in a row, so they didn't. And that that sucks. And CM Punk's gone, so he couldn't have done this cover either. So it was really weird, but that being said, though, I wasn't pissed at the announcement of John Cena being on the cover of the new game. But the authority made, uh, they established the main event for the next pay-per-view battleground in a number of weeks. It will be John Cena versus Kane versus Randy Orton versus Roman Reigns in a fatal four-way match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Initially, it did not make any sense that Triple H would put his arch-enemy Roman Reigns 
in a championship situation after he was trying so hard to make sure that he didn't want to get him in the Money in the Bank ladder match to prevent him from competing in that contest. So to put him in a championship matchup at, at a pay-per-view made no sense to me initially. Triple H tried to explain it at um, in one of his interviews on WWE.com talking about how he, uh, how he had uh, put him in there because it was best for business. So I guess that makes sense to a point. But um, anyway, though, so that was that. We had that. We had that uh, opening segment. In, in terms of reactions, the Authority got a mixed reaction when they came out. Stephanie's a great heel, so she got some laughs whenever she made a one-liner about Cena or whatever. Um, John Cena got way more booze than cheers. I mean, that's usually the regular thing with John Cena nowadays. But um, Hartford, from the shows that I've been to, has been pro John Cena more often than not. So for him to come out was. To, to booze was more surprising than not. But anyway, though, I think it goes without saying that Cena got one of the loudest reactions of the night. That's pretty obvious, obviously. But um, So we went from that segment to Seth Rollins versus Rob Van Dam. Nice little face-to-face interaction with Rollins and Cena foreshadowing the encounter between the two later on in the main event. But um, Seth Rollins and RVD, they had a very good matchup. Rollins got some good heat. RVD got a good pop when he came out as well. Very good matchup from these two. The crowd went, um, they responded to all of the high-flying offense of Rob Van Dam. So overall, though, I thought this was a very good contest. Seth Rollins goes over. Um, so a good opening match from those two. We go from there to Rusev and Lana segment. Rusev comes out to some good heat. Him and, Ron, or him and Lana talking about Russia and how no one has been able to stop Rusev and no one will stop Rusev. And how no one from America has been able to stop him, and now uh, America has failed in finding a hero to stop Rusev. And out come Jack Swagger and Zeb Coulter to a good pop, and um, Zeb Coulter doing all the talking for Swagger, talking about how he had not defeated anybody, he had not yet defeated Jack Swagger, and that Jack Swagger was a real American, leading to a massive thunderous We the People chant from everyone in attendance. I stood up, everyone stood up, put their hand over their heart and said, we, the people. And that's what got Cesaro over so in a big way when he was a part of the Real Americans from late 2012 or late 2013 to earlier this year because of that we, the people chant. And um, just a lot of people got into it. So I thought that was great. But um, yeah, this is a very good segment. I thought it would be the best thing that we'd see all night. Of course, it'd soon be proved wrong. And um, Jack Swagger got a very good reaction for his face turn. I think it's a great idea to be turning him face. He was extremely stale as a heel. He's done it all as a heel. And his entire WWE career has been as a heel since his debut in 2008. So for the last six years, he's exhausted every option as a heel. The only other thing to do was turn face. So I thought it was cool for him to do that on this show. Him versus Rusev is a very logical feud given his ties to the United States. So this should be a good feud, I look forward to it. Hopefully it doesn't completely kill Jack Swagger much like it did to Big E. But um, that being said, though, uh, I thought this was a good matchup for what it was. Uh, not a good segment for what it was, I'm sorry. And uh, Jack Swagger turning face, I think, is, not to sound cliche or anything, is best for business. Jack Swagger has been completely directionless for the longest time. So for this feud, in this feud with Rusev, at least it will reinvigorate his character into doing something interesting, doing something fresh, and that was probably, to be honest with you, the loudest reaction he's gotten in a long, long time when he said, we the people. So 
Hopefully they stay the course with Swagger. I look forward to this feud. I can't believe I'm saying I'm actually excited about something Jack Swagger is involved in. But um, he does a lot. He does have a lot of untapped potential. He's been misused a lot over the years, and I think as a babyface, um, it, it will be interesting. I mean, like I said before, he had yet to be a babyface up to this point. So him as a babyface in this feud with Rusev will be fun. I don't know what you do with Swagger afterwards, but I mean that's nothing really to worry about right now. But for right now, I will enjoy his his feud with Rusev, and here's hoping that uh, it benefits both superstars in the process. So up next, we had a great six-person tag team match with the United States champion Sheamus tag teaming with the WWE tag team champions, the Usos, to take on the Wyatt family. And we've seen this matchup a number of times over the last number of months, but it never gets any less great. I thought the action here was awesome. Everyone delivered a great matchup, and especially the final few minutes, too. The Usos have always been awesome. Sheamus gets a lot of shit from the fans, but he's a great in-ring performer. The Wyatt family was their usual great selves. The final few minutes were awesome, off-the-charts fun. Really enjoyed it. So, um, that being said, the Wyatt family goes over, picks up the victory. Luke Harper pins one of the uh, pins one of the Usos to pick up the win for his team. So, I don't know if this leads to a rematch between the Wyatt family and the Usos over the tag titles. It very well might. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. And um, I hope it doesn't, to be honest with you, because I think... Um, that feud has been worn out over the last number of months, and uh, both teams can move on to something new. But um, that being said, though, I think it would be an awesome rematch to hold on a, on a future episode of Raw, or whatever it might be. I think him or, or the Wyatt family as tag team champions could be incredibly intriguing. And if they're not going to call up the Ascension anytime soon, then I see no reason why they shouldn't put the titles on the Wyatt family, especially if there's no one left for the Usos to work with, and they don't call up the Ascension. But either way, I thought this was a great matchup. And the uh, the Wyatt family's entrance in the arena was absolutely surreal to see live. I really thought that was awesome. And um, with everyone holding up the lights, and the entire arena was lit up by solely the power of everyone's cell phone. I thought that was hilarious. And it was great. Everyone was waving their phones back and forth, and their arms back and forth at the entrance. Seamus got a decent pop. The Usos probably got a bigger pop than they did, to be honest with you. Um, I think people are probably just tired of Seamus. But um, just being a part of the Wyatt family's entrance was absolutely surreal and easily one of the highlights of the night. So after that, we had Bo Dallas holding a moment of silence for the injured superstars Daniel Bryan and Bad News Barrett. I, for one thing, thought this was during a commercial break because it sounded like something that would come during a break to, you know, um, keep the fans interested and, you know, maybe not to leave or anything like that. So that being said, though, it wasn't actually. And, um, the segment itself, I mean, I, I continue to find Bo Dallas hilarious and they showed footage from his appearance at Money in the Bank with Daniel Bryan and the boner chants and stuff like that. And people chanted it, but only for like maybe 15 seconds or so before it died out. But, um, either way, I thought Bo Dallas... He was comical here, but the, the moment of silence maybe have gone on for a little bit longer than it should have. So, that being said, though, I thought I, I thought it was an okay segment. It might not have served the purpose of what it should have, but for what it was, I mean, a lot of people in the arena just didn't care or know how to react. Um, I, I guess it was just kind of there. I don't know. I, I don't really know how to explain it. But um, that just kind of was what it was. Up next, we had Stephanie McMahon putting... Nikki Bella in a two-on-one handicap matchup against the Funkadactyls, Naomi and Cameron. No one cared about this match at all. It was complete dead silence throughout the arena. I mean, Nikki Bella got a nice reaction, but 
Aside from that, aside from that, no one freaking cares. And one of the people that I was with turned over to me and said, as the Funkadactyls were making their entrance, he was saying to me that, uh, oh, that, uh, that Brody Clay got released, but they're still using his theme song. I'm like, sadly so. And I, I hope they change that at some point. I mean, the Funkadactyls are breaking up, so it doesn't really serve a purpose now. But, um, hopefully they use their own theme songs. I know Cameron sang her own, she did her own single a couple of months ago, as did Naomi. So maybe they use those theme songs as their entrance themes. Because right now, the, the Funkadactyls theme is just kind of bringing up, uh, sad memories of Protus Clay as the Funkasaurus. But, um, anyway, though, this matchup, complete waste of time. And I, I wouldn't say a waste of time, actually, but no one cared. Um, thankfully, it only lasted a minute. <laughs> they didn't let it go on any longer than that. But um, for what it was, it was what it was. It teased more tension between Cameron and Naomi. The people in attendance probably cared more for the tension teased between Cameron and Naomi than they did the actual matchup, to be honest with you. <laughs> but anyway, though, um, so that was that. Up next, we had Kofi Kingston versus Cesaro. And they said they would offer an update on the injury status of Bad News Barrett. And this was really confusing because they showed the graphic and then they cut over to the commentators. So now I sympathize with everyone in the arena. Whenever the commentators are making a big announcement, the live crowd has no fucking idea how to react because they can't hear what they're saying. And we had no idea what was going on. And we had no idea that he was being stripped of the Intercontinental title which is a big, big, pretty big freaking deal, until Paul Heyman mentioned it in his promo when Cesaro was coming down for his matchup. And they said that a battle royal would be held to determine a new champion, but Paul Heyman never said when. I mean, I guess on commentary they said a battleground, but Paul Heyman never really said. And I figured that when after Kofi came out, that there would be... <laughs> I figured that more people would be coming out for the Battle Royal, but it ended up only being a singles matchup. So that was weird. And then I thought, maybe it's a gauntlet Battle Royal. Maybe more people will come out, and, and I don't know. Maybe someone will get eliminated, and then the next person will come out. And I don't know, but it was it was really weird why the, how they did that. But they got to do a better way of establishing like stuff like that when, when the commentators say it, that it gets its way across the arena. Maybe they use their mics in a way that it gets, that it, they put it over the intercom that you can hear what they're saying for segments like that because no one in the arena knew I had any idea what was going on when they said that Barrett, when Heyman said that Barrett was stripped of the IC title, which sucks, but if he's going to be out for a couple of months, I guess it's only necessary, but that was weird, but the matchup itself I thought was good. Kingston and Cesaro have always worked well together. Um, most of the matchup, I guess, happened during commercial break because the match started and then they went to break and I guess they came back from break, and Kingston was already celebrating his victory. Um, I thought the matchup happened on TV, and I can't remember the last time that anyone was that anyone has ever won a matchup during commercial, um, and not aired on the app. And even in the app era, I don't think it's ever been done. Even before that, though, I don't think it's ever been done, or at least in my memory. Maybe I'm wrong, but I can't remember the last time that anyone's ever won a match during commercial because you know that we would be missing it, so... I don't know, I thought that was weird. But, um... Anyway, though, Kofi Kingston going over, I thought, I, I thought that was a cool moment. But, um... And a lot of people are very shocked to see him win. It was a cool moment, because he's been fucking underutilized for so freaking long. So to see him in this kind of capacity, um... With Cesaro... To beat Cesaro, I thought was an upset win. Cesaro got his heat back afterwards when he completely annihilated Kofi by tossing him all over the barricade and tossing him into the barricade over in the arena, over to the fans and the crowd. 
on the commentating table. It was insane. The upper the uppercut was good when Kingston jumped off the steel steps. But um, I, I don't know. It was just so funny to even think that Kofi Kingston would be winning. Just um, And no one expected it to happen. That's why it was so great. After that, though, we moved right into the... Uh, well, right after that, I think we went to commercial break. But then we came back with the theme music of Mr. McMahon, No Chance in Hell. As soon as that music hit, I went fucking insane. I thought Mr. McMahon was coming back. Um, it's been the first time in months that we would have seen him on WWE TV. Um, I think we saw him at TLC, but I don't even know if he appeared the next night on Raw. But either way, though, I thought it was great to see uh, or to hear the music of Mr. McMahon. And it took me, honest to God, it took me a solid minute to finally realize that it was Damien Sandow in disguise, one of his impersonations. And that didn't even come to mind when I heard the music. I just thought it was McMahon. Because everyone in the, everyone in Connecticut that has gone to these shows in the past has known that Mr. McMahon has a tendency to return at Raw in Connecticut. It happened last year when I went to Raw, so I figured it would happen again this year. So I went crazy seeing it uh, when the music went off and I was bowing and everything was fucking awesome. And then as Sandow was making his way to ringside, I'm thinking. He grew a fucking beard because I had seats all the way in the back. It wasn't like I was near ringside or anything, so it was kind of. I mean, it, it was a real far ways away, so you couldn't see all that clearly. And um, he got the walk down. He had the hair down. It really did look like Vince. And um, the beard really. The beard was like, uh, did he grow a beard in his in his time off? Like what happened? It was really strange. <laughs> It was just really strange, and he made his way into the ring, and it wasn't until then that I finally realized that it was Damian Sandow and not Mr. McMahon. I was so pissed, and um, it was total gold impersonation by Sandow, but even so, though, to hear the music and, and for him to not to come out and for it to be Sandow instead was hilarious, um, a great impersonation. And once again, I apologize for my voice. It's fucking killing me to, to talk for an hour on this show, but um, I really want to talk about Raw. My voice is so killing me after Monday, so I apologize in advance. I already apologized before, but I apologize if you can't understand a word, a fucking word I'm saying, so I'm sorry. But, um, and I'll get to why I lost my voice in a second. So, that was that. And and, and, and Stephanie McMahon on the Titan Tron says, Oh, you can't be impersonating my father, we'll put you in a matchup. Then I'm like, oh, it's Great Collie, Great Collie, Great Collie, Great Collie's music goes off. I might have been the only one in the arena that actually marked out for the Greg Ollie. Not as crazy as I did for Miz or Jericho, but um, <laughs> it was certainly pretty crazy, though, um, when when Kali came out. I mean, he didn't even get much of a pop, but, and it's funny, too, because I tweeted out not too long ago, and I think Kali's last matchup was at WrestleMania, because he wrestled in the first Raw of the year, then he wrestled at the Royal Rumble, and then at the uh, WrestleMania in the Battle Royal. He hasn't been on WWE TV since. So to see him on this show, for him to make his return was pretty funny. So that being said, though, I thought um, I thought that was pretty funny for him to come out. And I, I, I didn't mark out, I guess, but I was pretty happy to see him just dance with music. So the match lasted all of a minute, which is for the better. Because the last show that I went to last year, Kali had a match, I think, against Fandango. It was maybe five minutes long, and it ended at a DQ anyway. It was fucking weird. A waste of time. Kali shouldn't be wrestling long matches at this point in his career. Or whatever before, to be honest with you. But, um, so yeah, that matchup served its purpose. It put Sandow and Kali in the Battle Royal Battleground. 
And um, it was just cool to see Kali, I guess, in person. And then it was also awesome to hear Vince's music um, on Raw for the first time since last year. So that was great. But um, we go from that to the segment of the night, by far, easily one of the best segments of the year. Um, it was announced and had been hyped up going into the show that a former WWE champion would be returning to Raw. First thought that came to my mind was Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is coming back on behalf of the Authority. He's going to be announcing his intentions to take the World Championship at SummerSlam or Battleground or whatever it may be. So I thought it was Brock Lesnar. Second person that came to mind was Ric Flair. Someone said, oh, my brother was like, oh, he's a former WWE champion, so it must be The Miz. And thinking, I, I guess so, I guess it could be The Miz. But I could very well see it being Ric Flair and then him coming out with The Miz afterwards. Because it had been rumored for the longest time that Miz and Flair was supposed to be the next pairing. Instead of Flair and Ziggler. I guess Flair had requested to work with Dolph Ziggler, but WWE turned it down. Or some bullshit like that, I don't know. But um, either way, though, I mean, it was what it was. So, I'm, I'm expecting Flair, especially since that, um, and I'll get to this in a second, the spoilers and whatever, but um, I got to the arena, and there were a lot of woo chants, and I heard that word had gotten out on who the big surprise would be. So, I suppose, okay, it must be Ric Flair. There's so many woo chants, people are probably, word's probably getting around that it's Ric Flair. So, and then the Mrs. Music hits. That was my second choice. So that was, it was it was awesome to see him. No pun intended for his music. To have. I was probably the only one in the arena going crazy. Um, big Miz fit here. So it was great to see the Miz back. New haircut and all. I thought it was awesome. No pun intended, as I said before. But I want to get to this real quick because Miz Miz is an interesting case because the Miz after he dropped the WWE title in 2011, he did next to nothing. He tried to put over Alex Riley, and he did. He tried. And it was WWE's fault that they dropped the ball on Riley, and that's a whole other rant for another day. Then after that, they did fucking nothing with him. He turned face, and I thought that was a cool thing, because he had never been faced before, and that was something fresh for him to do. But his face wasn't even clearly solidified, and he didn't do anything, and they put him against in weird situations, and it was so dumb. And um, it just got a real negative reaction from fans. So they had to turn him back heel, and then late last year when he turned heel, and that was a fucking mess, and he, he was a heel and face every other week. And Miz was so poorly booked that it was pissing me off. So him leaving to go film the Marine 4 was probably for the better. So I enjoyed that he came back on this show. It was only a matter of time. Summer Rae was off filming that movie too, but um, and she came back a month and a half ago. But it was crucial for them to bring back Miz on a show that he wouldn't be overshadowed. And he was on the show. He was overshadowed on the show to an extent. But it made sense to bring him back on the show because it was after a pay-per-view. They can build towards Battleground now with him in the Battle Royal or whatever else. So that being said, though, so Miz, um, Miz, like I was saying before, um, he's an interesting case in the sense that he wasn't doing, he wasn't doing anything before he left, right before WrestleMania, or right after WrestleMania, I guess I should say. So for him to come back, not with a new theme, but I don't know if people meant or saw this, but they, he had a new Titan Tron with that looked like a trailer for a movie trailer and um, a montage of all of his appearances on shows and stuff like that. Because like Justin Roberts announced him as he was a cross media platform star and stuff like that. So it was great to see the Miz being the Miz fan that I am. I am extraordinarily happy to finally see that he's been repackaged. And it's something good. Um, his promo was good. He's got a new haircut, new look, 
new gimmick, new Hollywood persona. And people are like, oh, the Marine 4 is no blockbuster. That's exactly the point. He's going to play it up to be a blockbuster film when it actually isn't. That's the whole point of his heel persona. And that's why it's so fucking funny. So I think it's great that um that Miz is finally being given something to do. And <laughs> like I said before, I was like the only one marking out. And that was... That was the reason I lost my voice was in parts of The Miz coming out and me marking after that and Jericho's return, and I'll get to that in a minute. But um, it is great to see The Miz um, utilized in a role where he won't completely be over uh, overshadowed as a, as, a feel, as a heel face, heel face, heel face. So as long as it gives him something of, some, something of note, something substantial to do as a heel with this new persona... Then it should be fun to see develop. I mean, he got good heat, and when he's on, when on the mic, when he's motivated, he's gold. So hopefully, they can keep this going strong with him going forward. So after that, Jericho comes out um, mid sentence, uh, uh, in, in mid promo of Miz. The uh, Jericho's pyro goes up. I'm like, what the fuck is this? His music hits. I went insane. I can't even tell you how much I marked out. And you can obviously tell I lost my voice. <laughs> I lost my voice during this segment. Specifically, I credit the entire night for the reason I lost my voice, but it was probably during this segment in particular. And I'll be uploading the the footage to YouTube, my Facebook page at some point, because I took a video of it all, and you can hear me screaming my lungs out. And um, to my right, sitting next to me, and we were sec- we were in section 120, like row Y or something, so there was nothing behind us but a wall. So we, I wasn't, I could, I could stand up all I wanted and not be in anyone's way. So, um, but next to me was my brother and my stepdad who had both come to me with, to the show and, um, next to me and to the left of me was a family and the guy sitting next to me, I think <laughs> after Jericho came back, I don't, he didn't say anything or anything like that. And I'm not exactly sure, but I'm just assuming here and I'm probably right when I say that he got up and left because I was making such a scene because I was going absolutely insane. Everyone around me was celebrating, but I was so over the top. It was so funny. But anyway, Jericho's music hit to a great pop. He comes out, um, interrupts him is, hits him with a code breaker. One, two, three. Not one, two, three. It wasn't even the fucking match. I don't know why I said that. But um, but anyway, though, before I even get forward with that, Jericho and Miz um, is a match that has, has since been confirmed for the Raw show next week. So that should be fun, and that, that's a feed that I've always wanted to see develop, so that should be awesome, and I look forward to that. And uh, like I said, no pun intended with the awesome stuff. But anyway, I, hopefully they have, they actually have a feud between Jericho and Miz at some point. Um, I think that could be a great feud to see develop. They have great chemistry together, whether on the same team or in a feud. I talked to Jericho on his podcast like a number of months ago, and he said that their whole team back in 2010 was just random. They never really had any plans for them. So hopefully they team it back up at some point because I think they could be a great duo and even better feud when they um if they were to feud going to Battleground. And the way that I see it, and I know they've already confirmed the match for Raw, is that they should do Miz and Jericho for the Battleground pay-per-view and then at SummerSlam you do Jericho Wyatt. That's just the way that I would book it. So hopefully they don't, they don't give away Jericho Wyatt at the next show and instead save it, they instead save it for SummerSlam next month. So, speaking of Wyatt, Jericho says, Welcome to Raw is Jericho. And before he can even finish, the Wyatt, the lights go out, the Wyatt's music, the, the Wyatt's uh, little montage, whatever hits, 
And um, let's go back on. They're standing in the ring. Massive, this is awesome. Champ breaks out. I was a part of that. So awesome. I mean, I loved it. But um, so the Wyatt family attacks Jericho. Just a vicious attack on Y2J. Bray Wyatt hits Sister Abigail. They stand over him to close the segment. How many fucking people come back to get attacked on their first night in? Only Jericho. I clap for Jericho. The guy is a class act. The guy puts people over. And he's not in the same boat as like a Brock Lesnar or a Rock. Those guys are draws and whatnot. And Jericho is as much of a draw as they are. But look at all the people that have come back over the years. Batista, The Rock, Brock Lesnar, Rob Van Dam. Did any one of those guys get beat up on their first night back with the company? No way! Jericho is the only one that would do that. And he's been saying for a long time now that he's always wanted to work with Wyatt since their match in NXT last year, which I have yet to watch, and hopefully I will at some point. But um, this should be a great feud, especially on the mic. Their matches could be great. If their NXT match, from what I've heard, with any indication, their matches should be great too. It puts Wyatt over in a big way, and you're not... I don't at all think that Jericho's going to completely bury Wyatt like um like Cena did. I'm not I'm not I'm not suggesting that Cena buried Wyatt, but Wyatt should have been going over in that feud from day one, and he got Cena got the better of him more often than not in the major pay per view encounters. So that being said, though, you know for a, you know for a fact that Jericho is back to put over Wyatt. And that's why I love this pairing so much. Because the promos... For, let's let's break this down. No pun intended. Promos are going to be great. Matches will be great. Helps Wyatt. Jericho's fucking back in the company. The guy can wrestle a broom for 30 months. And I would never be any less entertained by what he's doing. Because he is the best in the world at what he does. As you can notice, I'm a massive Jericho-holic. But who fucking cares? Y2J is back, and to say that I was there for when Jericho came back in WWE is surreal. To even be a part of that was amazing. So I can't thank WWE enough for that. That was fucking awesome. I can't even stress how great it was. But um, great segment. Loved it. Awesome booking. So we move into the final matchup. No, that wasn't even the final. That wasn't even close. That was at like the top of the hour, at ten o'clock. We had Ziggler and Fandango. Several We Want Ziggler chants throughout the night. So they went crazy when they heard Ziggler. Um, even the Summer race stuff, when he kissed Summer during his match with Fandango, got a nice pop. So that was nice. Hopefully they don't put Ziggler and Summer together. Um, don't really care to see that, to be honest with you. Hopefully they put Ziggler with Flair instead. But um, that was that. Goldust and Stardust against Rybaxel. Um, there were some Feed Me More chants. Stardust got a good pop when he came out. Same matchup as we saw at Money in the Bank. Kind of a waste of a time. Kind of a waste of a time. Kind of a waste of time, I should say. I completely botched that. You gotta forgive me here. I'm losing my fucking voice. And then we get to Paige. Um, we see her coming out. And I'm like, okay, she's cutting a promo. If she's cutting a promo, then fucking AJ's coming back. No doubt about it. And sure enough, she does. And, um... It looked like Paige was being portrayed as the heel here, and AJ was the babyface. I thought it was great that they drew back Sheeds to their post-WrestleMania encounter with um, Paige winning the championship from AJ on night one. And then you go back to this however many months later, and AJ wins back the Divas Championship from Paige in the same fashion that Paige won the belt from her. So that was great storytelling there. Granted, we should usually get a good chase from the two over the championship, and maybe we will going into Battleground, SummerSlam, whatever, 
And um, their matches should be great, too. I mean, their first matchup was about a minute long. This matchup might have been like two or three minutes. And um, it should be a great matchup whenever they face off, whenever that will come, whether it be a battleground or SummerSlam or whatever. But to be present in the arena for AJ's return was great. She got a very good pop when she came out. And the Divas Championship change also got a very good pop, too. It was just really random in how, um, and, and how, the ch- how the title change came about. I don't think it buried Paige... I don't think that for a minute some people were complaining. Oh, well, there goes Paige's run. That was a waste. That was stupid booking. And maybe it was stupid booking. It depends where they go from here. But And Paige has never really uh, has teased the heel turn up to this point. It just seems like hot shot booking in the sense that, okay, she wasn't getting, getting over as a, as a baby face, so we might as well turn her. And that might be the best course of action. She was great as a heel in NXT when she first debuted as the anti-diva. So... Maybe you turn her heel for right now, and much like AJ, who worked miles better as a heel. Go back to AJ. She's the perfect comparison. When AJ was first a babyface in WWE for about two years, no one gave two shits about her. She didn't get any reactions at all. But when she finally turned heel in that summer, and that whole summer of punk thing with Brian and the whole crazy chick thing, she finally got a fucking reaction. So maybe you do that same thing with Paige. But um, this whole thing was crazily booked. I'm not going to call it awesome or... Or terrible. I, I thought it was awesome that AJ's back, but really, is this time going to tell in terms of where this goes from here? Um, hopefully, I th- I'm just happy to see them feuding finally. Hopefully, Paige doesn't take any time off or anything. Maybe that's why they did this. Hopefully not. But either way, though, I look forward to their eventual matchup, whether it be at Battleground, SummerSlam, whatever, should be great. So we get to the main event, um, tag team main event: Cena Reigns against Orton and Kane. The matchup itself was decent. I was talking to my friend, my, my brother, the entire time because I couldn't care less about it. It was okay for what it was. Much like every other main event at every at every WWE event that I've gone to, it's ended in a DQ. So that was no surprise. But um, that being said, though, afterwards, Kane lays out... Well, what happened here, actually? Let's see. Uh, Roman Reigns, something happened with him. Him and Orton, I think, brawled up the top of the ramp. They disappeared. And then... Kane lays out John Cena with a tombstone. So I'm thinking, okay, that's a really strange way of going off the air. So they do that. And Cena is laying there, um, just unconscious. Seth Rollins' music hit. He comes down. And uh, Dean Ambrose, who cut a promo tonight, got a great reaction. They got an even better reaction when he prevented Seth Rollins from cashing in the Money in the Bank briefcase. I didn't think for a second that Dean Ambrose could interrupt, that uh, could prevent Ambrose could, could prevent Rollins from cashing in the briefcase. I f- completely forgot about that. But um, that was great storytelling. Both got great reactions. And I felt bad for the people. As soon as the match ended, a lot of the family started heading up towards the uh, towards the exit. I'm thinking, oh, you better stay. Something might happen. Sure enough, Rollins. Imagine if he cast in and those people missed it. They'd be so pissed. So that's why you always got to wait until after the show ends completely. And they send the crowd home happy. But, um, so that was cool. So Ambrose and Rollins, they start brawling. They both get great reactions. Reigns takes out Kane to another big pop. This is awesome chant as as Roman Reigns and Triple H engage in a stare down. Great moment. That goes, they they go off the show with that. Um, Reigns leaves, Triple H leaves. And, um, there was no dark match. It was advertised that Rollins, Kane, and Orton would be taking on, maybe it was Wyatt, I don't know. Would it be taking on Cena, Dean Ambrose, and Roman Reigns? And um, 
That never happened, thank God, because I didn't want to stay any longer. But um, afterwards, John Cena took out, or, or Kane tried to go for a choke slam on Cena. Cena reversed, hit the uh, hit the AA, sending the crowd home happy. So that was it. Great night. Absolutely enjoyed it. Overall, easily the best episode of Raw in months. Second best show of the year right next to uh, the Raw after WrestleMania. So I got to give it up to WWE Vince McMahon for all that great stuff that we saw on Monday night. I thought it was fantastic from start to finish. There was really nothing on the show to complain about. I mean, even being in the arena. I mean, the show that I went to last year kind of felt like it dragged by the end of it. This show, not at all. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like it dragged at all. I mean, there was some points where I'm like, okay, can they please hurry this up? But aside from that, um, it was a really awesome night of action. Night of Shockers with Jericho, Y2J, baby, AJ Lee, um, The Miz, even Greg Khali to an extent, all making a return on the show, making one of the most newsworthy shows in months. Um, and it's great to see the product finally improving since after WrestleMania, because that was kind of the peak with WrestleMania, then after Brian got injured and all that kind of bullshit, it kind of got stale for a while. So I'm glad to see that it's finally exciting again. We always get these summer Raws, so to speak, in that um, they kick off the summer season with Jericho back and The Miz back in the fold and Roman Reigns in the title picture and Lesnar probably coming back at some point. And it wouldn't have made sense for him to come back on this show because we already know what the main event for Battleground will be. But that being said, though, um, I thought this is a great Raw for not only serving as a nice aftermath show following Money in the Bank, but it built towards Battleground, had a lot of newsworthy segments, had a lot of awesome action, and it was just really entertaining on TV, and being there live was absolutely insane, as you could tell from my lost voice. So um, I apologize for making you sit through one hour of me talking without a voice today, and hopefully next week will be better. But, um, like I said, I'd lose my voice any day of the week if it meant going to that Raw one more time. Because that was such a great show. And they'll be back in Hartford for another show right after the Royal Rumble. I won't be able to go, unfortunately. Because I'll be back in college campus by that time. Because my, my winter break ends at the Sunday on Royal Rumble Sunday. So I will be unable to go. But, um, that being said, though, it, it should be pretty cool to um, go to a Raw again next year. Someone told me that they might be having a pay-per-view in Hartford next year. Long overdue for that. So that should be fun, if true. But, um, yeah, that wrapped up a great episode of Monday Night Raw. And um, I look forward to what they do going forward. So, that being said, folks, thanks for listening. Always appreciate it. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at WrestleRant. Make sure to find me on Facebook at Matthews. YouTube, same thing. Bleacher Report, same thing. A lot of great articles coming up on Bleacher Report, where I ranked every guest host in WWE Raw history. So go back and check that out on Bleacher Report. A lot of cool articles on what culture as well. And uh, more stuff to come from you truly in coming weeks. And I look forward to where WWE goes forward in the coming months. So with all these shameless plugs out of the way, Make sure to continue visiting nextyearwrestling.weebly.com for all the latest results, news, recaps, rumors, and much, much more. Always appreciate it. Make sure to tune back in next Tuesday for another jam-packed edition of WrestleRant Radio, hosted by yours truly for July 8th, 2014, as the road to SummerSlam rages on. Thanks for listening, folks. Graham, Jason Matthews, and until next week, this is GSM signing out.